Have you ever considered the impact your work environment has on your health and your productivity? Enter Uplift Desk, a revolutionary standing desk designed to transform the way you work. And that's just the beginning of what Uplift Desk has to offer. With an emphasis on ergonomics and customization, Uplift Desk offers a solution that caters to the dynamic needs of modern professionals. Whether you're coding, designing, or podcasting, like I am right now, the flexibility to switch between sitting and standing can significantly enhance your focus and vitality. What makes Uplift Desk stand out is not just their commitment to quality and innovation, but also their dedication to creating a healthier workspace. With options to customize from over 100 desktop materials and a plethora of accessories, Uplift Desk ensures that your work setup is uniquely yours, promoting better posture and movement throughout the day. And here's an offer to get you started on a healthier work journey starting today. Go to upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting for 5% off your order. That's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting to get 5% off your entire order. Your health, your productivity, your future self will thank you. Again, that's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting and get 5% off your entire order today. Hi, I'm Yara Stark, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. Welcome to A Productive Conversation. It's me, Mike Vardy, and I am joined by Yaro Starek on the program. I've been wanting to have him on the podcast for a long time, any of my podcasts, um, and he's been on the internet for a long, long, long time. We actually talk about how long, long, long that is. Um, we also talk about Inbox Done, which uh, he is the co-founder of. He uh, just... To give you some sense of what Inbox Done is about, it's an email management company, so we geek out about email. It's a team of 45, over 45, serving clients, which include restaurant owners, venture capitalists, accountants, doctors, lawyers, and, and many, many more people. Yarrow has a varied and vast history on the internet, but we focus a lot of our conversations around, you know, like, why email management? Why a service around that? The niching down, all that kind of stuff. And why maybe delegation was a challenge for him and how maybe you can overcome that challenge. Let's get to my conversation with Yaro Starak here right now. Enjoy. Yaro, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. It's been a while. I was trying to remember when was it? It was Toronto uh, to pre-COVID. 2019? I think so. So just before everything went lockdown. Yeah, everything went and, you know, and... Uh, I mean, I, I, I've wanted to have you on a podcast, whether it's a productive conversation or any of my other previous podcasts up to this, but we've just never been able to make it happen. But we've got some synergy now because, uh, you know, when it comes to, I mean, you've done a lot leading up to this point, but you've really tackled one of the biggest productivity um, problems, for lack of a better term, uh, in recent years, and that's the email inbox. Um can we talk about why email has become such a pervasive issue with with someone getting more of the right things done? You know, it's the oldest internet technology uh, that's still relatively popular and, and in use. I can think back to my first time being frustrated by email, which was probably 
Because you remember in the late 90s when I went online, email was cool. It was like exciting <laughs> to get an email back then. Um, God, it's a long time ago now. And then there was a period where it became even cooler in, in my case, because I had a, a website that was starting to make a bit of money. So email was when you got like a customer notification of a sale or an affiliate sale. or So it was this place of joy for a little while. And then I think around the early 2000s for me, I found myself trapped to it in the sense that I, again, I was running a business at the time. It was an online editing business and um, it's a great little small business, but the problem with it was it would service students who like to hand in papers last minute. Mm -hmm. And we were a little evil. We charged them more money if they needed a faster turnaround. So I had the situation because I was like, you know, the, the jack of all trades, entrepreneur, customer service, doing everything. I had to see the inbox, spot a customer email, get it confirmed by the editor, collect the payment for it, get the job running, and then make sure it gets back on time before a certain deadline. And that meant just being trapped to the inbox. Because if I was, say, two hours late to seeing an email, that could mean not getting a job done and, and therefore you know, not making money. So for me, that was, it was an absolute trap, like worse than even for normal people, because I actually had my entire income tied into the, the speed at which I would see and get back to emails. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when I realized, and we're talking early 2000s, that I needed to find a solution for it. And back then, you know, people didn't talk about anything to do with email productivity, email outsourcing. There was no, I don't think we even had Gmail. Maybe it was just starting at that point. I can't remember what I, I used back then. Yeah, there, was but. No, there were no email, there was no advanced things like snoozing or anything like that. Like it was just send, receive. That was pretty much it. Pretty much it. Yeah. And attachments and and folders. I love my folders. You put things away. <laughs> Which about don't them. even exist. Now they're labels. They don't even <laughs> yes. necessarily exist I still call in, them folders, in, in yes. Gmail. Uh, someone brought that to my attention the other day. They're like, Mike, you, you know, you're, you're, uh, there was a course that they were looking at and they're like, uh, Mike, I don't have folders in Gmail. What are you talking about? I'm like, well, you're looking at an old course. Like they're, they, they, they serve the same function now. Um, yeah. you started inbox done. And what I, what I found fascinating, especially when we were talking about it the few years ago, back when we were having that coffee in Toronto was, um, it's a very, at least it's expanded since we talked, obviously, but there was your, your main, positioning was to tackle the email problem. Right. And the, that positioning, which is, which was different than like, say other virtual assistant kind of programs that were out there, which were like, you could do all these things. Why, what have you found? I guess is the better question. What have you found by going after that particular area that has been, you know, either successful or the biggest thing you've noticed by just going after that particular pain point, which is email. You know, it's probably one of the only times I've practiced what I preach as a person who used to teach business, where it's like niche down, be yeah. a specialist, focus <laughs> on something so you stand out from the crowd. And I was like, okay, I got to really follow in, in my own footsteps here and really preach and practice that. So, the, I mean, to be fair, the idea for the business was always there. It was always email. It was never a general virtual assistant uh, service. It was, I loved outsourcing my email to an assistant 20 years ago. Um, for many, many years, I did it. And then about five years ago, when we started Inbox Done, it was like, this is surely something that other entrepreneurs and, and busy people would need. Um, so I never thought about it as a, uh, even, a, I didn't even think about it as a VA service. It's weird. It, it was a virtual, it mm -hmm. is a virtual assistant service ultimately, but I always saw it as this kind of niche boutique specialty 
thing that we have people who are especially trained to do this one thing well with the system and they come in and, and bring that into your company and roll it out and you know make it efficient so to me it was always so specialized that it was hard to compare and contrast and today that's still the same case like we will not be chosen for certain needs like we're not a social media va we're not a bookkeeping va we're not a you know general sort of personal assistant VA. We do all those things for some clients, but we always enter with the inbox and the calendar. And our website is all positioned around that. And our marketing is all positioned around that. So when someone finds us and that's what they've been looking for, it's great because just like that business advice teaches, we're an option of one. There is no comparison out there if email is your thing. I say that now probably and everyone's going to start email management companies. But, you know. <laughs> Hold on, let me write that down. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's been good, but it's also been a restriction. Like we definitely have missed out on potential work because people see us as like a one-trick pony as well. Um, so if you're not feeling like email and calendar is your main problem. You're like, I'm not sure if this is the right company for me. But it's interesting because, you know, and I don't use a service for calendaring at all. Well, sure. Because I think there's some fantastic tools out there that remove the person from the equation. Like I use savvy Cal. Um, I'm an affiliate, which is I'll, I'll disclose that full, full, full force. But I, I like the fact that there is enough flexibility within it. You still have to have the human go in there and do the managing of the flexibility. But at the end of the day, um, it's far better than saying, and there's so many people I see do this with back and forth of like, when can this person meet? Like it, it and Cal Newport, who we had on the a pod, you know, we've had on the show a few times when he was talking about the world without email, that was one thing he mentioned was like, why are people doing this email dance back and forth about scheduling when you could have like a scheduling link? But email is a whole different beast in that regard, right? Because you still have to have human touch points. Sure. You can have things like front, which uses like snippets and, and canned, like canned responses even in Gmail now. Um, but there's something personal maybe or something a little bit more nuanced with email than with any of the other stuff. Maybe social media has the same, but I see people ghostwriting social media all the time now too. Right. So for someone who is knows they're having a, they're, they're having over email or inbox overwhelm, how do you allay their fears of like, yeah, but they're going to, it's going to lose my personal touch or how do I know? Like, cause there's a lot of fear I think wrapped up in that more so than say with calendar or social media or any of those things. You know, that's the topic I have to address in discovery calls and I've been doing it for five years. So let me do a discovery call with you. Sure. Uh, here, Mike. So let's <laughs> on the service though. No. Um, you know, we have this term, we, we clone you and it's, it's not like a marketing uh, gimmick. It, it really is something that has to happen over a, slow month to even three month period of time for all the reasons you just said you, you don't enter an inbox and start replying to someone's messages when you only did that like you started yesterday and you're replying the next day you would mess up you would have the wrong tone you would give the wrong answers you wouldn't even know the answer is to give so we have a handover process which is our cloning process basically so we we go in um we, we provide two assistants to every client and there's a big couple of weeks of research and study and looking at your sent folder and how do you send your emails? What is your writing style? What is your tone? Uh, who are the most common people you reply to? Uh, we do like a triage. So which are the absolutely critical emails versus the important versus the don't need a reply versus maybe need to be seen, but not replied to. There's all kinds of you know triage elements we put into place there. 
plus the usual things like you talked about before, folders, filters, redirects, reminders, all that gets set up. But really, a lot of this is a familiarization process with what you're doing in a person's company as the email manager, and also a relationship building process and a communication building process, because you have to learn how the client wants to be informed. How, how are they involved? Are they still going to deal with 5% of email that they have to be involved with because it's unique knowledge to them or unique relationships to them, or they just feel more comfortable. Like they want to be the one writing back to their husband or their wife. They don't want the assistant to do that for, you know, certain reasons. So there's all these nuances and it takes time to build the systems, pick those things up. But the beautiful thing about it, and I went through this myself, I'm the first client. So I was totally skeptical of a, will a person writing emails for me or as I did in the past, Will they be as detailed, as conscientious, as aware of the elements that I thought that I knew only about my role in my company, that I was worried I would lose sales. So that obviously that was my biggest concern. I'd, I'd make less money. And then I, I spent a month with them saying, this is how I answer this email. This is how I deal with this situation. And it was very hands-on back then. And then I remember the, like the, maybe the first or second week after they officially taken over replying to my emails. I'd always go into the sent folder. I'd spy on them just to see how they were replying. <laughs> you know, looking to see they've got to make a mistake here. I would have written that differently. And for sure, you, the first few weeks, they're brand new at this. Um, they're not going to be perfect. So they might need to be informed. Actually, next time you probably should say this or don't forget to mention that. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, you hit month two, month three, you start going in the sent folder and you realize this person's written three paragraphs to an email reply, where in the past I would have written two sentences because I was either too busy or just over answering the same question again and again and again, or you know, there's something else I care about more, so I just wanna get this one off my plate, where this email person is their job. They, they know that they're just to do that role, they have templates, they have a process in place, so they can be more thorough, more detailed, certainly way more patient than I ever was. I started to become one of those impatient, you know, entrepreneurs, like, why do you keep asking me the same question? <laughs> you know? so, um, so it does work, but it's just, it's a time. For, and you have to be committed as the person who's outsourcing it too. You have to be there to answer a few key questions when needed. You have to be willing to go through the, the sense of, it's a weird feeling, like someone else is replying to the main thing I used to do in my life. Yeah. A lot of people email is it. It's like every morning I wake up and I do two hours or I, or I govern my day. My email is my to-do list. So I do things based on what's in that inbox. So when you hand that over, you're, you're suddenly like, Hey, you're free. And you got to figure out what's my timetable now. But B you're like, what if someone's, how are they replying? Are they making mistakes? So there's definitely a transition period for, for the, the owner of the email. Ever caught yourself marveling at the seamless magic of everyday tech, like how noise-canceling headphones block out the world or the sheer bliss of meeting-free Fridays? Now imagine if there was a way to bring that kind of magic into selling online. Well, guess what? There is, and it's called Shopify. From the moment you decide to launch your online shop to opening your first physical store, and even when you're pinching yourself because, yes, you just hit a million orders, Shopify is there to guide your growth. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or the latest productivity tools, Shopify supports you everywhere with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. The checkout, oh, it's a breeze for your customers, converting up to 36% better than other platforms. And with Shopify Magic, your AI-powered assistant, you're selling more with way less effort. 
And you won't be alone in your Shopify journey because Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., supporting giants like Allbirds in Brooklyn and, and millions of entrepreneurs across 175 countries. Their award-winning support is always there, making sure businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And yours can be one of those businesses. And for those looking to level up, Shopify's endless integrations and third-party apps from on-demand printing to chatbots ensure your business is always ahead of the curve. So what are you waiting for? Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash timecrafting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash timecrafting. Ever found yourself deep in a project, your flow state so intense that the world around you just fades away? That's the magic zone where ideas take flight and your work truly comes to life. But what if, in a blink, it could all disappear? Hard drives fail, coffee spills, and yes, even the dreaded accidental delete happens. But fear not, because Crash Plan has your back. Don't wait for disaster to strike. Head over to crashplan.com slash timecrafting now for a free trial and secure your creations with their limited time buy one, get one offers. Supporting our sponsors means supporting this podcast. So take a moment to check them out. CrashPlan is the superhero of cloud-based data protection, specifically designed for people like us who live and breathe their digital creations. CrashPlan ensures that every file, every idea, and every piece of hard work is safely backed up and protected. With CrashPlan Professional, you get unlimited backup for your computers, not servers or cloud apps, just pure essential data protection for PC, Mac, and Linux. This means your business plans, designs, music, and documents are continuously encrypted and updated in their secure cloud without you lifting a finger. Imagine this, your laptop takes a dive during a late night work session. With CrashPlan, it's not a disaster, it's just a minor hiccup. Their service runs quietly in the background, safeguarding every change you make every 15 minutes. And if the worst happens, your files are just a few clicks away from being restored with unlimited version retention acting as your personal time machine. For businesses, CrashPlan's multi-tenant capabilities are a game changer. Buy as many licenses as you need, manage them with ease, and let your team or your IT admin restore data seamlessly, saving precious time and resources. So go to crashplan.com slash timecrafting now to sign up for a free trial and take advantage of one of their limited buy one, get one offers for a productive conversation listeners. That's crashplan.com slash timecrafting. Back up better with CrashPlan. Is it an absolute handover too? Like, is there, so I think that's another thing people would like, does that mean I never have to check email again? Does that mean that I never, is, did you like, do you find that, and I've got another follow-up question after this, but the idea of like, is it all or nothing or is there new, like, how does that work? Or is it on a client by client basis? Cause I, I know that yeah. there's probably some emails that come back that you maybe need to personally address in some way, shape or form, maybe not like reply, but there's tasks oriented with it and things like that. So how would, how does that work? And again, is it like uh, an absolute handover or is there some kind of, you know, nuance within it? Like you said, it's, it's client by client. So I, I mean, we, and we take over processes too. So if, if an email comes in, like you said, and there's a task involved, maybe send a quote, update a CRM, tell your accountant, send an onboarding process, 
we usually, in most cases, take over that too, because we want to try and close the loop for the person. So the email comes in, even if it involves other people in the company, we want to be the person working with that those people, not the person we're trying to free. So our right. goal is to get you out of there. But we've had people, um, and you can imagine, like take a lawyer, there's certain things our assistants will never be able to answer because they're not lawyers. Mm -hmm. uh, same with accountants. Um, we have venture capitalists. But then we have like a bakery. And the bakery is probably easier to get 100% out because most of the questions coming in for a bakery can be templated, can be learned. It won't be, you know, maybe there's a secret recipe that we can't you know, know about. But besides <laughs> that, we, pretty much everything we can, we can adopt. So it's case by case. But we had, and I'm probably this too, we had a client who said, I never want to go into the inbox again. But there's still an email or two or three or four a month that will come in. And if we've never seen it before and we don't know how to reply or it says it's from a person who talks about this relationship they've had together in the past and we don't know if they're telling the truth. Is it a spam email versus is this actually the, right. you know, their cousin from an, another mother? Really for real. Mm -hmm. So in that case, we, we often will just drop a Slack message or a WhatsApp message or a text message, whatever you're choices for how to communicate with your assistants and we'll just ask and then that way you don't have to go into the inbox we get the answer we can copy paste drop it in or you know write something custom based on how you've given us the information so it's it's doable like the short answer is we have some clients who never go into their inbox they will get asked questions in other means for clarification but they don't ever go in anymore um, me personally i still love going in because i like seeing the sale notifications and feeling like okay how how is the the sales process going i'm still the marketing guy the right never, kind, the right kind of dopamine hit as opposed to the yeah, wrong exactly. kind of dopamine. <laughs> well you know what's great about it emails come in and there's a process behind a lot of emails that will need to be triggered a certain reply or something but it's no longer my job it's not it's never been my job for, from the beginning for this company so it's nice to know that i can check the email feel like I still have a, a sense of the pulse of the business, but none of those emails are my responsible, my responsibility to reply to, to lead, you know, nurture over time. Like to me, that was one of the biggest things I dropped the ball on. I would reply once and then I just never reply again. Mm. And for a lot of potential sales, you have to reply once and then two days later and then next week and the week after we said there's a nurturing follow-up process. And, and my team, like we have two, assistance in our marketing department whose entire job is basically every email that comes in that's marketing related they're following up they're making sure that people are getting on discovery calls any kind of information that's needed like the reference check might be asked for we send back references so all these things like that but you know i see it happening but it's not my job so it's it's completely disconnected i don't have the stress of that's my responsibility and that's not hard to get to you bring on you know one or two assistants in our case that sit in there and they do your inbox, you can still open your phone and check your email, but you you can see 10 emails in there and know none of these are for me to deal with. Um, and I really, I really like that. So have you always been good at delegating? And I'd like to hear the story about if, if that's the case. And if not, when the switch was flipped for you, because a lot of people that are listening to this right now, Maybe, maybe you're one of them, you listener out there that's like, Hey, I don't know about delegating, man. That's money that I don't have, or I feel like I'm afraid to let it go. Um, I'd love to hear how, what your story of like learning to delegate, or if it's always been something you've done. And then what, what kind of was the thing that might, gave you the aha moment of like, Oh, you know what? I I'm never going back. Yeah, it's been an evolution. Uh, like you mentioned, I definitely had a, a budgetary 
constraint in my early days. Um, in fact, that editing company I mentioned earlier in the interview, that was not a, a massively profitable business. So making the decision to essentially pay, I think it was probably not a lot, it was maybe 10,000 a year to hand over email at the time, maybe a bit more than that. I can't remember exactly what it was. It was 20 years ago. So hourly rates were a little less. And, mm-hmm. um, and anyway, so that choice was still my profit, essentially money that would go into my pocket would now go into my assistant's pocket mm-hmm. instead. So I was making a personal financial decision to do that. And I'd much like this podcast, I'd heard people talk about the benefits of outsourcing, not email, but certainly other things. Sure. I've heard, you know, someone else should build your website. Someone else should run your ad campaigns. You know, someone else should do graphics. Those are the basic things back then. And I'd started to do that. I hired someone to do some copywriting. I hired someone to do website building. Um, but it was all one-off kind of jobs. You pay and then you stop. But this one is the first time like, I'm hiring a consistent person who will bill me every month for this service. But in theory, it's going to free up all these hours. Uh, it, for me, it was super important. I wanted to travel. I, I could not be trapped to my email looking at you know a beautiful thailand beach knowing that i have to be writing emails instead of actually you know being in the countries i might be visiting so i knew i had to do it but it was a it was a massive leap at that point financially that was the first hurdle so i did it thankfully i saw the benefits of using the time to then grow the business and therefore make more money so you know it does pay off but there is a transition period where you go through that kind of change um, fast forward from that, I was wholeheartedly for spending money on outsourcing like five, six, seven years later with different companies, but I hit other problems. Um, it was more a case of right person in the right role. Mm. And I was just a terrible hirer. I, I, and I still, you know, the reason I have a co-founder and inbox done, she is our team builder. She is our, she built the processes, our hiring and training machine. I would not be able to do that. I'm bring marketing and clients. She brings amazing services, finds amazing people. And she was one of my email managers. Her name is Claire. And you know, we have a great synergy there. But before that, when I was running a blogging business, basically an information teaching education business, I would go through like six or seven Filipino outsources that I try and hire to do sometimes very basic things. But I don't know if it was me or just the way I was looking or just bad luck and timing. But you know, the first one, a tree would fall on their grandmother's house and they couldn't come to work. And the next one would be like work great for a month. And then I guess they decided they didn't want to work anymore and they just stopped working. So it kind of happened over about an eight month period where I just went through one person after the other. And, and again, I don't know if it was me or not, but I felt like the common denominator is me. I'm the one who's still, you know, the only person here is going through another person is not a good fit, another person not a good fit. And part of it was maybe laziness, not doing enough reference checking, not, not you know, looking for the right specialist. So that's why it's not a coincidence that we have a specialized company around this one thing that we really train and hire very carefully around, because I knew from experience, that's what you need to bring into something as important as email, because I failed to do it in so many other roles, outsourcing in the past. So my, always the advice I give to anyone is one gets into outsourcing, obviously, you know, have the cash flow, do some tests with some tasks first. But if you're like me, and you're ready to start bringing on some consistent people as and they'll be working with you month after month, if you feel like you're not ready to go through a proper hiring process and really put in the effort to find the right person, 
the first hire you should do, and this is the lesson I learned, is hire someone to hire for you. So after I had those months and months of not so good experiences, I said, I've got to, I got to find a hiring manager. So that's when I hired a friend of mine named Laura. I said, listen, your only job is to fix this hole in my skill set. And whenever we need to find it, an outsourcer for a task or a more permanent role, your job will be to do a great job of the testing and vetting and sourcing and creating great job uh, opportunity documentation, everything that I was rushing through and not doing a thorough enough job with. So let's get back to Inbox Done for a second, because I want to ask about the diversification. Because, I mean, when we first talked, I believe it was just the email that was being focused on, correct? I might be wrong, but email email was the focus. And now, you know, if you go to Inbox Done, and there's links in the show notes, there's other options there. Why, I mean, you talked about at the very beginning of our conversation, the idea of niching down and following your own advice, which is, you know, you're right. Like that's a, and you did that, but now there's been this diversification. Um, what's the thought behind that? And is it, has it proven to be a good adjunct or fit for, for the business? Well, actually there hasn't been a change in the business in terms of diversifying diversifying into other services, there's been a change in the design and the copywriting of the business to show that we are capable of doing these things. Ah. So, so when you and I talked, we were doing those things for clients. It's, it's natural. You bring on an EA or a VA, mm -hmm. they do your email and they do your calendar. Maybe it takes two or three months and you're like, you know what? I really like this person. Then you're thinking maybe I can hand over something else. So we were we were doing social media, especially social media inboxes, you know, direct messages on Instagram, TikTok, sure. LinkedIn. It's another inbox. Um, people would throw VA tasks. Can you research this? Can you, you know, follow up with that? Uh, can you even perhaps, you know, go out there and send some emails to get some bookings in a little bit of a marketing kind of role? Um, it would extend sometimes even beyond that. We'd have to pull back like someone would want us to do phone calls and we go, I don't think we're going to be a phone call service there's other dedicated companies for that so we'd say no to that but because we are capable and did do all these things we found ourselves in a situation where the website needs to and i'm totally responsible this you're asking the right person with this question because it's all about marketing and positioning right mm -hmm. and, and and hitting the right uh benefits and features and creating awareness for what your your strength and your core skill and your niche is but also making sure you're not losing someone because i think you don't do something that you could do. Because a lot of our clients will say, email is my number one thing, but it'd be great if you could do this too, or even the other way around. They come to us, I'm ready to sign up for email. And then they go, oh, you can do that, that, and that. I am definitely sold now. I'm 100% in. So that's what we had to do. So we went through a web copy and, and website design change. Uh, I think it was early early this year. might've been early this year. God, it feels like a short year. Early but, 2022, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Feels like it's longer than like anyway. Everything feels longer than that months. now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it took like six months of of you know really coming up with new copy and and all we did was surface these as secondary tasks, making sure that we're still positioning. Like you go to the website, it says right at the top, we do email, we do calendar. Yeah. But hey, by the way, we do these other things too. We're an EA service, but this is what we hire and train and onboard initially for. So it's a sweet spot where you are a specialist, but you're not getting excluded because they think you don't do something that is important. Really, the way I see it, if you're a copywriter, copywriters know this, um, there's a kind of a tradition when you're writing a long form sales page or a sales video, 
where you have a bullet point list of benefits that you kind of cover that your product or your service offers. And there's like a rule where you should try and put every single thing you can think of um, because there'll be one thing in that list for a certain person that will be the, aha, I really would like that. And it'll bring them across the line. It's not like why they first found you or their initial need, but that little extra, oh, I can get chocolate sprinkles with my Sunday. I'm buying this Sunday, you know, so it is important to feature that. You've been doing online work for a long time. Um, and now you're focused on this. I don't want to dive too far into the, the past because we're nearing the end of our time together, but how, how has that evolution been for you? Because I mean, I remember when I first discovered you, number one, it's very, it's always great when I find a fellow like Canadian, like someone who lives in Canada that, that, that I'm like, Oh, there's someone on the internet that's from Canada. And, and eventually I think every Canadian that does something on the internet knows every other Canadian on the internet where we just, <laughs> we, we definitely propagate that myth of, Hey, do you know yeah. Joe from Canada? Actually? Yes, I do. Um, so what, has that evolution been like for you? Because I mean, it's, it's been a long journey. Yeah, it has uh, only cause I'm older and I don't know. I think we're similar ages, Mike. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I'm 48. So okay. I we're, we're only five years apart. So yeah. it's not that different. Nope. So I know were you, were you internet enabled in your teens and twenties as well? Or maybe uh, like, no, maybe not until later, 20s. like the twenties when I moved out, <laughs> when I moved to Victoria, I had a dial-up router in my little like cabin while we opened the Costco by Langford, and I could have a shower while I waited for the internet to get in. That's how, that's how, that's how bad the signal was here, like where I was. But I mean, I started, I mean, when I started doing the, you know, productivity kind of stuff, when it was the parody stuff, that would have been like 2003, Probably. Yeah. Okay. Like uh, 2000, I was still working for Costco then. So it was like 2003, 2004, like in and around there probably. So yeah, it would, I mean, we're talking 20 years almost now. Just yeah. what I do now has only been for about 15 years, but still like, I mean, it's been a while. It, it is. And it's a, a lot of years and in internet years. So, and I'm only slightly earlier than that. I was like late nineties starting to do this as an 18 year old. So the, the main thing I think, well, there's two things. There's the evolution of the technology and there's the evolution as a human being. So I've seen patterns. You go from, oh, the internet is new. Oh, forums and bulletin boards and websites are the thing. And then, oh, this Google search is income. So now there's more readily available information and you can start to rank well and get all this free traffic. And then copywriting becomes important. And then, oh, blogging hits. And then shortly after blogging hits, there's YouTube. And then there's MySpace and Facebook, and then there's Instagram and Twitter, and then there's TikTok, and you know it, it's waves of new tools. And obviously the and Discord comes around. You're like, wait a minute, that's like a BBS, but like it's yeah. not. No, <laughs> like it everything, does, is, everything is old is new again, and everything new is old again. <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> it is amazing how often you go. But isn't like ICQ is great? Isn't that the same thing as what <laughs> Skype was? And then Skype is the same thing as what Zoom is. I'm like, why did we need a new version anyway? It's, it's a, uh, it, you see that and you see the patterns and you, you kind of, it's in some ways, it's kind of sad for me because I used to get so excited about a new technology and think, okay, I can jump on this and I can be early adopter and I can ride the wave and I can build a business around it. Now I know it's, it's just going to keep happening. There's always something like that. So it's, it's good and bad, but yeah. on an individual level, you obviously change too. Like I had a lot more 
I guess, sense of insecurity around, will I ever make a full-time income from a business? Um, how financially independent can I get? Will I be actually enjoy doing tasks in the company that I do? Um, so there's a lot of jumps to go through with that from starting a business purely for money to then figuring out the sort of Venn diagram of great money and, and great enjoyment. And then I wanted great freedom as another circle in that Venn diagram. And so there was seven to eight years of really kind of playing around and lots of frustrations and feeling of confusion and loss. And it was so early, like there weren't like YouTube is such a good thing today because you can just see everyone posting. This is how I run my business. This is how I make money. This is how I make sales. There's so many people like you when you're an entrepreneur. Back then, I knew two entrepreneurs in my hometown. I was born in Australia and in Brisbane. And, and, you know, they were doing different businesses to me. We could talk a little bit about it. But to be an entrepreneur back then was to be, you know, owning a restaurant or to be Richard Branson on the other scale, yeah. you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You couldn't, you, couldn't, of... you couldn't build a bit like what we do now, you know, you couldn't. You couldn't build a business necessarily that you knew could be sustained. It was a it was a huge risk. Now there's there's a greater likelihood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, definitely easy. You don't feel as alone, even though you still feel alone from the distance. But you you see examples, so there's um, more people to follow and emulate and feel the confidence from. So, and then to really bring it to to more recent years, uh, my goal was always to have a business. Well, to experience different sides of business from a very personal brand, egocentric kind of business when you're an influencer, marketer, like I was a blogger, I was a podcaster, I'm a podcaster. So you know what it's like, you're the name, you're the voice, you're the face. So part of this is tied to your identity versus saying box done. It's an independent company with you know, a team of 50. They are running the company without me. If I disappeared, it doesn't disappear. You know, it's, it's, I wanted to have both kinds of businesses. Um, I'm working on a software platform now. I've always wanted to do something in software, so I'd love to see that work. Uh, and then just having the potential to do little things like maybe angel investing. Obviously, travel is a huge thing, which I was able to do from the start. Still love doing. So a lot of boxes to tick. And it takes a while because it takes a while to make enough money to do things. It takes a while to build systems, to hire people. You know, it's a, it's a building machine that runs without you. None of this is quick to gain the mindset and the awareness. Um, there's a lot of steps there. Yeah, that's the, it, you know, as you're talking about this, I've been thinking about this too. Tim Ferriss had a, I mean, and, and I like, Tim can be hit and miss sometimes with his conversations, um, but I generally like his interviews. And he had one with Bill Burr um, on the Fearless YouTube channel. I think you can listen to it on his podcast as well. And he, one of the things he did was he showed Bill Burr in his early eight, like era of stand-up versus now, and Bill said something, and I'm going to butcher it a bit, but I'll link to it in the show notes, where he said, you know, when he first went into a comedy club, he had this sense of what that looked like for him, like what the way he felt when he walked in that room. And then he got on stage, and then, of course, he doesn't act out. He's like, and I got this microphone, and I become something that I think I'm supposed to be instead of what I wanted to be when I walked in. He goes, and it can take. And then he, he illustrates, like, it could take seven, eight, ten years to get back to the way you were when you walked in when you first walked in. And when you're talking about that, it's like, I know for myself that as I've gone through this journey, the same thing has happened where I'm like, I'm getting back to the way I was when I walked in. Right. You know, cause we all kind of, and I'm wondering, is, it sounds like there's something similar there, like your ideals of what you thought could happen. And maybe you deviated that from a bit because of either just natural progression or whatever, but it sounds like 
you're at the point now, and that can only come with time and age and experience and wisdom, where you're going to get back to the way you were when you walked in, kind of like what Bill was saying, right? Yeah, there's definitely a degree of wanting to revert or go back to a place you used to be. I, I actually, you're making me think of, um, I just I am currently reading the Roger uh, Federer bio. Mm. Oh, are you still there? Uh, you just thought you were frozen there. Nope, yes, I'm, I'm reading the, the <laughs> it was a very still frame. Um, yeah, the Roger Federer uh, tennis player biography, which is, it's amazing. And it's, um, it just came out. So it's just after around his retirement and it's a 20 plus year career. And I'm going through the point just after Roger won the French Open, which was like the final piece of the puzzle for him to win all four tennis grand slams. He'd pretty much done anything you could do as a tennis player. And he, and he, he comments, and Roger said this many times, the pressure is completely gone now. I don't feel that, that sort of weight that I need to do something I haven't done yet. And now I still want to play tennis, and I still love it. I'm playing even sort of more free and and my talent is able to really come through, but I don't have that sense of I've got to get a result from this specific tournament or this specific match or something like that. It's all being done. So it's kind of like back to the roots of the enjoyment of what he does. Right. And of course he continues to go and win many more tournaments and make many more grand slams, but it, it's, and I think that's a lovely place to get to in a career. And, and it takes time. You, you don't, you, know, you have to achieve the things you set yourself out to achieve and then live through them. And then by living through them, you discover what is actually important in whatever it is you do for a living. I think about this now too. I'm like, well, okay, let's say there's 20, 25 years left of peak performance time, you know, as, as an adult before you might want to not work as much as you are, or you just physically can't maybe, or mentally can't. Um, what do you actually want to do with your hours? And I always come back to it. Well, there's lots of things, but I, I discovered writing as a thing I enjoy thanks to blogging completely surprised me, did not see that coming. And now one of the greatest joys in my life is to sit in a cafe and write. So I know if I was given or had to choose something, I would continue to just choose you know, that as the thing I would do. I still like to have a team to interact with who's building something bigger than me. And I would hope that would always be around. But as an activity that Yarrow specifically does, it would be probably sitting in cafes and writing. And that's my Roger Federer tennis. You know, I've, I've built the business today, sold millions of dollars worth of my stuff. I and exited a company. I, I angel invested. I traveled the world. And now I'm happy just to sit in a cafe and keep writing about whatever that comes my way. So that's kind of, uh, for me, the, the evolution, I guess. And, you know, I'm, I'm 43. I would never be able to say this in my 20s, probably in my 30s either. It's something I think... Hopefully, you get to say sometime in your career, 40s or 50s or 60s, at some point, you hope to tick the boxes, if not everything, but at least from a personal sense of evolution, you feel more comfortable with what you've done and, and what you still want to do. Yara, this has been a great conversation. Um, we're going to link to Inbox down in the show notes as well, uh, so that way people can check it out. Uh, we've had conversations about that before. I, I encourage people to look at it for sure. But where can people keep up with you, the things you're doing, and uh, and yeah, like that that kind of stuff? Because again, it's it's interesting to see your have have seen your journey over the years, and I'm glad we were able to finally get together and have this conversation recorded. Yeah, thanks for having me, uh, Mike. Um, like you said, inbox done. If if emails your sticking point or, or calendar, love to do a discovery call. You can you can book that in at inboxdone.com. 
for me, I still write my blog, strangely enough, and I have a, a podcast I do very haphazardly, but it does get updated. Um, it's at yarrow, Y-A-R-O dot blog, B-L-O-G. Everything is there. Thanks for having a productive conversation with me today, Yarrow. Thanks, Mike. Thanks to Yarrow for joining me on the program. Again, inboxdone.com is a great place to get started, but he also shared his own personal uh, link in his outro, which is not the outro I'm doing right now, his own outro. You can get all the links and everything that we talked about at productivities.com slash podcast 462. You can do that right now after you subscribe to the podcast. If you're not already subscribed, just hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this right now, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever. Hit the subscribe button. That way you don't miss a single episode of What's to Come and can easily search through the archives. The other thing that you can easily do to support the show is to check out our sponsors page, which will include some of the sponsors you heard today. Just go to productivities.com slash podcast sponsors to make that happen. I'm about to make the end of this episode happen. Thanks for joining me. I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.